Ken, it is such a gift to, to have you with us. We've been asking the same two questions to a lot of friends, family, leaders that we admire and track with. So the first question is really rooted in Matthew 16, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, you can look at the sky and forecast the weather. Why can't you read the signs of the times? Um, so essentially a question around what the Spirit's doing right now so that we can jump aboard. Second question, which we'll get to, is just personally, what are you learning? But let, let's start with reading culture. You spent 40 years working in the financial world. You still um, provide leadership to a financial fund. Um, you also a writer. You are someone that reads the Times. I know you prefer the Telegraph, but in, in the sense that we're uh, meaning uh, it, you, you do read culture in a remarkable way. And you are one of the voices, the key voices, honestly, in my life that's helped me read the times and learn to track with the spirit. You've played such a significant role in my life. So it is an absolute privilege to have you here. But to ask you the question, this is a crazy moment. Where do you see God at work right now? Well, Pete, well, firstly, thank you. It's always a pleasure to to see you, to talk to you, um, see what you're doing and the church that you're stewarding and you and B have done an amazing amazing work there, preparing us for these times in many ways, in your connection with younger people. And yes, I think it's an important question. It's like the sons of Issachar. You know, not only did could they, they, they see, the, read the signs of the times, but they knew what action to take. Yeah. And I think this is, this is the most difficult because anyone can read the signs of the times and come to a view, and there are lots of futurologists yeah, But that is not what we're wanting to do. What I think is happening is that there's been this global, almost as if the Lord was saying, stop, yeah. just stop. Um, I'm not saying that that's the cause that he caused all of this. I'm just saying it's yeah. a byproduct of what has happened. And if you think about it, there's a complete perfect storm of global pressures. Uh, yeah. We've forgotten but it's six months ago, not six years ago, that um, we saw the Thunberg um, yeah. revolution sweeping, you know, children out on, in demonstrations in schools on climate change, environment, yeah. fires in Australia, California, and then sweeping through the world. Uh, the this pandemic that yeah. tested our health services, our governments, our institutions. And then in its wake comes the Black Lives Matter uh, issues. So it, it, it is as if there is a forcing of a new way of thinking right in every major area of our lives. And it is global. Yeah. It, it's not just a pocket here or a pocket there. Uh, so I think we need to stop and say, can we read all these signs together? Yeah. Or does it force us back to say, uh, we need to take the Spirit of God into our hearts and and understand uh, what the the balance between reason, assessing with day-to-day -day structures, our intelligence, the gifts God has yeah. given and revelation. We need to hold yeah. revelation and reason together as we try and talk amongst ourselves to assess where we are and where we're going. Yeah, I love that, Ken. That's really profound reason and revelation. Let's, let's we'll talk about both, really, because I guess faith, you know, is is 
you know, you know we, we talk about living by faith and not by sight. In other words, it's not just built on reason. This is a moment where we're going to need faith because we can't see the road ahead with absolute clarity, but we have to trust that God is leading us. How do you nurture faith in a moment like this? Well, it's a good word, the nurturing of faith. And of course, reason and revelation come straight out of the first chapter of, of, of Ephesians, where Paul yeah. tells us to, you know, to, to have these two drawn yeah. together. And nurturing faith is very important. And the way one has to do that is, firstly, that it is a personal journey. But it's not only a personal journey. So the personal yeah. journey is that we listen to people who speak faith into our lives, who speak yeah. hope into our lives. And this is not just sheer optimism. No one knows how the story is going to end. Yeah. And I think of Joseph of Arimathea. You've just written a book on? A book on. Nice um, little plug. Nice little plug. He took the body of Christ down from the cross into a tomb on silent Saturday, struggling yeah. Saturday, had no idea that Celebration Sunday was coming. And yeah. faith is simply being able to follow the story when you don't know how it's going to end. Wow. That requires us to not only nurture ourselves in the scriptures, hear from the, 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 those who are interpreting the scriptures, people that we're preaching in our Sundays, our services, but also to speak to each other and to encourage each other uh, in, in, in terms of the belief that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yeah. and forever. I mean, that's an amazing picture of Joseph of Arimathea in the sense of in a moment of grief. You know, you said Silent Saturday. So he's, he's in an experience of grief, and yet there's such phenomenal hope that's about to break in in a day's time. And I wonder if, you know, we find ourselves in globally a moment of deep, deep grief, and yet choosing to believe that we do not grieve as those who have no hope, that there is hope that maybe we are nearer than ever of, of some form of awakening, a move of the spirit. I know that's what you and many others have been praying for, contending for. Can I ask you about hope then? Because um, I saw you post on your you know, Instagram a picture of you um, protesting, um, but also it took you back to when you were in your early 20s, a young student in South Africa, many, many, many years ago. <laughs> oh, the other day, Pete, but the other day. Only just the other day, where you were part of something extraordinary happening in South Africa, contending for change. And then fast forward the clock, however many years, something similar is happening. Just reflect on those two journeys, the journey back then as a young student, um, and then your journey now, seeing something extraordinary happening on our streets. Well, they couldn't be more different. Um, and then, you know, sort of with 50 years ago, 68, the great, you know, the world itself was sort of uh, seeing convulsions, uh, yeah. demonstrations uh, throughout the world. But ours was very particular. It was against an, an abhorrent system of apartheid. But we were struggling against the law. So it's much easier when you can see the law, the laws are iniquitous, you're fighting against yeah. them, demonstrating against them and you know, other horrible things happening. Whereas now, uh, in, in just thinking on why I would have joined the, the march, uh, as I know you did, uh, yeah. is actually uh, we're trying to see not the law changed, but behavioral and cultural 
yeah. attitudes change much more difficult. Yeah. But going back to those early days, I mean, I think one had that Marxist sense that uh, it, the world was never going to change. Uh, oppression in, was going to be so awful, it had to be overthrown in South Africa. And very little hope for the future. Uh, Nelson Mandela was in jail and in prison at the time. Yeah. Uh, and there was a big clampdown on any form of protest. Um, 50 years later, I think I'm in a different position. I do have a hope, which yeah. wasn't one that was merely expecting that sometimes some political change would happen, but a hope that is available to each one of us right now to know that the things that we hope for may not come about. But yeah. the person that we're hoping in is yeah. there, is active, is engaged, is working in our lives, and the Spirit of God is enabling us to actually move into the future space and assess that in our day-to-day -day lives, by which I mean that I know that there will be a tomorrow. Uh, yeah. I may be talking to you. I may be um, you know, talking to the, to the Lord, asking him a lot of questions because life continues. But we know there is a future. But what we need to do now is to be shrewd about assessing what needs to happen. The world needs hope. What the world most needs, we have. And yeah. somehow or another, we haven't managed to get that word across, that encouragement across to enable people in lockdown uh, everywhere to understand that there is a hope. There is there are marriages under stress, school, yeah. schooling of kids, jobs not there, uncertain what's going to happen, fearful. I mean, I'm the same. I, I fear those things. So I therefore have to draw into the depths of the scriptures, talk to prayer yeah. to enable us to see that there is a hope that will come through. And I hope that what comes through this will be a new awakening, a new sense of a, of a spirituality that we've not known before. Because yeah. we're going to rethink what we eat. We're going to rethink yeah. the way we live, our health, um, is going to become so much more important. And the workplace is going to change dramatically. Yeah. Uh, I always put it this way. My, my grandson will say to my son, what did grandpa mean when he said he went to work? Where is that? <laughs> uh, you, you, so we have to see multiple uncertainties. Yeah. And yet know that by reason and revelation, we can navigate day to day to a broader picture uh, of security uh, by the Spirit of God uh, yeah. in our lives. That's incredible. Let's just talk about the uncertainty then when everything's changing, work patterns, home life patterns, you know, it's so much changing. You've said to me in some of our personal conversations, Pete, like, hold your nerve. In a moment of uncertainty, don't just sort of try and grab for control by trying to mark out clearly the road ahead and dot, dot, dot. This is a moment to hold your nerve. Um, and I can see around me and I feel it within me of like, oh, I, I need to hold on to something that feels more certain. Yeah, how do we hold our nerve in this moment? I've heard you talk about like the fermentation process. So just talk us through that and how we can live in this moment, trusting in God, holding on to God, and therefore being okay with, you know, a lack of clarity, if you like. Well, the first is that we are facing a spiritual crisis in which 
we were slightly cocky, I think, over the years, believing that we could manage, you yeah. know, slotted into one of our programs to, you know, feeling good about uh, the, the church, the growth, the planting, uh, whatever it might be. And at that moment, we're now coming to a place where we're being stripped back. So there is an uncertainty that immediately results, well, maybe I don't control. And yeah. that, of course, is the first building block uh, of hope for the future, is someone else controls the situation. Secondly, live yeah. in contracting horizons. When, uh, when in the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about, you know, sufficient unto the days, the evil thereof. Uh, yeah. just trying to live in a contracting horizon doesn't mean to say you lose hope for the future. On the contrary, what it does say is I'm going to live for today as yeah. best I can, leaving the context of the whole to be in the hands of the Spirit of God, who will begin to unfold un step by step. Yeah. Third, it's a frustrating experience because we're trying to will, we're trying to bring about situations and change things that we're incapable of doing. Yeah. And therefore, the frustration is this constant bumping of heads. But unfortunately, it's, it's the left side bumping into the right side, <laughs> half of yeah. the other half, like a civil war all the time. I'm so frustrated. I can't see friends. I can't talk. I can't. Yeah. It, as a, a very wise uh, person said to me, it's you see frustration, but God sees fermentation. In yeah, other words, he's allowing us to stew in this moment, knowing that we have hope for the future, but have to get through today. Yeah. The stewing process, a, a rethinking of basic principles, most particularly um, to know your who. Hmm. Wrote your book, another plug. Yeah, that's the <laughs> know your why. But the more I think about it, the more I think that this time is asking the question to, Know your who. Know who mm. are you as a person? You come to terms with yourself that this time that you've been alone talking to others in lockdown, and are you at ease with your God, at ease with yourself, and at ease with your neighbors? Big question. Identity. Yeah. Know your who. You've often said to me historically when you've just been coaching me, like, stay in your grace zone. Like we, we all have an area in which we flourish where we're operating according to our gifts, you know, and there can be a tempting thing, oh, you know, almost the kind of selfish ambition. What if I step out and try and just expand? And I think what you've just been saying about sort of like embracing a level of contraction, you know, in a season so that you can actually expand in time according to your grace zone. That's, that's really fascinating. What do you encourage people, you know, in terms of practically, how do you stay in a grace zone? Well, for the first thing to remember is if you try and expand now, for sure you're going to end up making the wrong decisions because we don't know how this is going to pan out. Two-year plans, three-year plans um, don't work. So we have to live in this contracted planning horizon um, yeah. for, the, for the here and now so that we, we're able to deal with the issues we face today. And the greatest gift that anybody of leadership quality now is flexibility. You have yeah. to be able to read the signs and they change day after day, week after week uh, to read them 
and to adapt models, ways of responding to the changing patterns. Who knows whether this digital excitement that yeah. is going to replace church as we've known it. I suspect it won't, but I yeah. do suspect that there's a profound change, not simply because it's digital, but because there's a cultural change in the entire yeah. society around us. So navigating that day-to-day um, means that one has to be alert to the shifting thought processes, the shifting sands, sometimes of which yeah. society is built on and say, it is a shifting sand, we're not going there. And an yeah. element of divine restraint rather than human in, in enthusiasm. Um, and if you want me to put it technically for you, Pete, as I would want to put I, I always do. This, there is kinetic energy, which is the energy yeah. that comes from oneself, you know, which is pushing along. And there's pneumatic energy, which comes from the spirit. Yeah. And what one needs to do is to not see one or the other, but to yeah. marry the kinetic. You know, we want to get on. We want to, to achieve with the pneumatic. We want the spirit of God to lead us a day-to-day, but within a broader picture that, that he well understands before all ages has planned for us. Yeah, love that. Um, Ken, talk briefly about then this. Uh, you've been preaching from a poem. I've, I've heard you quoting this poem about the caged bird. Just talk, talk us through that and, and what you feel like the Spirit's saying right now. Well, Maya Angelou, uh, the great American, African-American uh, um, civil rights activist, wrote this book, which was a part of biography. Um, I know why the caged bird sings. And I've been really arrested by that because... <laughs> If I ever felt like a caged bird, yeah, and don't look too moral at me, say to you, <laughs> I ever looked like a caged bird, I feel it now. Yeah. And my wings feel clipped. Yeah. I want to do, the people I want to meet, the achievements, the it just seems to be in lockdown. Um, but it is, of course, that the spirit of God is why we can sing. And yeah. The people of Israel sang in captivity by the yeah. rivers of Babylon. You might remember the song, Too Young. Yeah. Uh, by the rivers of Babylon. Oh, no, no, I, I remember it. There we are. Um, how, you, how do you sing in captivity? How, yeah. you know, because a song is something that comes from the inside. It is, speaks of a liberation, even when you're in a, the bird is in the cage. Yeah. And the poem, as she goes on to talk about the wonderfully fat worms that exist outside, and and yet, yet you can be in in a lockdown mode with a spirit yeah. that is freed, because that is yeah. what the spirit of God does. He enables us to roam beyond ourselves and outside of ourselves, so that the lockdown is actually a God lock. It's a time yeah. the Spirit of God is working within us and enabling us just in our day-to-day decisions. What do I do today? How much time do I spend on my own? Time with, you know, homeschooling. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't that, but you do. Out. Uh, and, you know, how much time is being spent at work, on Zooms, or whatever. Yeah. We can, there are things that we can control. Yeah. 
but which also enable us to be at liberty, at peace, uh, while we are doing it. That is the great heritage of the yeah. Christian in lockdown. Yeah, amen. Final question then, Ken, which is just a personal one then, because it's, you know, there's there's a shared experience, a global experience, and then there's a unique experience of what we're all going through and where the Lord's at work within us. What have you been learning yourself then about life, about the kingdom in this season? Well, I think the, the, the first thing was reintroducing myself to myself, <laughs> um, you know, because in a sense, um, the for all for all of for many of us, the ego gets ahead of itself in terms of the what we're doing, what we're achieving, where we're going, um, the, the the paths that we're on. And you come to a time like this where actually it has to rein in. Yeah, um, where it cannot simply uh, achieve what it wants to, and that is, you know, a God at work in the individual person, enabling a realignment of our hopes, our desires, with those of God, and dealing honestly with the shadows or the fantasies that we have developed about ourselves. Yeah, uh, such that there is a new realism, and that is a day-to-day spending more time. So I have found really looking forward to times of quiet in the morning, of praying and worshipping and, and, and reading, uh, as I haven't had up to now. I've enjoyed spending time with my wife. We, we've yeah. been talking and praying together as we never have before. Uh, so I think, you know, that piece has meant a lot to getting a stable a stable base. Of course, there's the work to be done and the Zoom call yeah. that exhausts all of us. But it's equally important to retain an, a time when you talk to different people, different networks of your friends, some in yeah. church, some from football, some from, from work, uh, in order to create um, a, a curiosity about other people and their interests and be able to input into their lives such that we can continue to be helpful and supportive to others. And I found that very, very stimulating, although yeah. it's, it's tough when, um, when you, have, or you can't, I can see you, but I can't touch you. Ken, I mean, I could listen to you all day and want to thank you and for the life. People <laughs> yeah, yeah, other people died out. But, um, and I want to thank you for your example. Like I do think of you as a you know, young 20-year-old, putting yourself at risk being part of a movement in South Africa contending for justice and peace and change. And then the 50 years that followed, you've continued to be an advocate for, you know, justice, peace, contending for kingdom breakthrough. And your faith is as alive now as it was then. And and you are, you know, a true inspiration to to us. So we, we thank you and sending you huge love. Thanks for joining us. God bless. Lovely to have been with you. Keep well. (laughs) 